Okay, let's take our Bibles out, and we're going to turn to John chapter 6. Verse 25 says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from the heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him for the life of this world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Well, when I was a teenager, I wouldn't say that I was a philosopher on a mission to find the meaning of life. In fact, far from it. I was kind of stumbling through life, not worrying too awful much about it. In fact, I know it drove my mother crazy that my, kind of my slogan at the time was, don't worry about it. But I do remember, though, many different times as I was going through that time period, kind of a lot of those formative years in your life, where I questioned things and I was, 
I was curious about what life was all about. Now, like I said, not curious enough or serious enough about it to go on an investigation or to uh, crack open a Bible or to go to a church or do some reading. Or, but I, I just remember questioning things as I was going through experiences. And kind of what is this life all about? What, what is worth in this life vesting yourself in or pursuing? I remember I liked to do a lot of different things. I liked to go camping. I like to hunt. I like to fish. I like to, to water ski and to swim. And, and so I liked a lot of outdoor activities like that. And we did a lot of that as a family. And we got a lot of great memories of, of weekends spent at lakes up in the Cascade Mountains or, or out in eastern Washington and, and going and traveling on vacation to the Wallawas and different places. And, and uh, we did a lot of camping. But I, I remember during all that at times thinking, is, is this the height of our experience? Is this it? Is this the purpose of life? Work all week, do all the work to get ready to go and all that kind of stuff and get everything clean and ready to go just for enjoying those few days out and then coming back and doing it all over again? Because as enjoyable as it was, seemed like it lacked something. Uh, I also uh, liked sports. I liked sports, but I didn't like them that much. I guess I w- it wasn't like sports were the, the end of all things or what, that thing that just really, if you invest your life in this, that this is ultra meaningful. That fell short. I did some some partying and some things that I shouldn't have been doing during that time too. And I can remember at times being with my friends and, and thinking we were having this great time or and sometimes acting like we're having a great time. And I can remember thinking, is this what it's all about? Because, boy, this is really shallow. This is very empty. And I remember it wasn't really until I was 20 years old and I came to faith in Christ that I finally found that satisfaction. You see, I looked at those other things in life saying, is this satisfying? Is this partying satisfying? Are these sports satisfying? Is camping and and outdoors and family activities, is that ultimately satisfying to be your purpose in life? And everything left me still hungry. Everything left me still thirsting for something more. I hadn't found what was it yet, but I, but it was like everything that I looked at as maybe being it was falling to the side and, and couldn't be it. And so I, I just continued to wonder until I came to Jesus Christ. Well, you know what? Somebody far more philosophical, far wiser, and with far more uh, resources did kind of the same thing and took it a step farther. I think of Solomon. Solomon in the Bible wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you know what that's about? It's about Solomon, who was the wisest king of Israel. Because Solomon was a young king when he took the throne. And God came to Solomon and he said, What do you want? Give me one request and I'll grant it. And Solomon said, Give me wisdom. Because your people is great and I'm young, give me the wisdom that I need to do right by them and by you. God was impressed with Solomon's answer. And he told Solomon that because you didn't ask for long life and health, because you didn't ask for a huge amount of riches, because you didn't ask for peace from your enemies, all things that you could have gotten for yourself, but you selflessly tried to serve my people, he said, then I'm going to give you all of it. He gave him the wisdom. He gave him the, the money. He gave him the health and the long life. 
and he gave him peace from his enemies, something his father was not able to enjoy as he was a man of war. And so Solomon, with all of those things, he did something that doesn't seem overly wise. In a sense it does, because he sat out to find meaning in life, to find purpose, as he keeps putting it under the sun, a life on this earth. And he keeps coming back to the same conclusion. He says, everything that I try, I keep finding, the word he uses to describe it is vanity. Vanity means emptiness. He says, all this, everything that I'm finding under the sun is vanity. In other words, it's not worth vesting your whole life into. And so Solomon started getting involved in different things, different pursuits. And he pursued these different elements of life with a vengeance and with great amount of resources to be able to divulge into those things. And he just kept finding the same conclusion. This is the same thing I found when I was a teenager. This isn't it. This isn't it. This can't be it. He starts off with pleasure and he dives into pleasure and he says, I didn't withhold anything from myself that my heart wanted. If you can imagine that, the resources that he had at his fingertips and he didn't deny himself anything. And he said, I found it to be empty. So I tried wisdom. He said, I learned. I just applied myself to learning and I read books and, and to the making of books there is no end. And I, and I just started consuming knowledge and learning everything that I could. And in the end I found that that too was empty. That too didn't bring the purpose and fulfillment in life that I thought that it would. And then he tried accomplishment and he built things. And in the end he said, that's not it either. And he just keeps pursuing these different things and he, and he finds that those aren't the purpose. He gets finally toward the end of his book and he says, here's the end of all things. Enjoy the labors that God gives you to do. Serve the Lord in the days of your youth. He recognized that all these pursuits under the sun, in other words, just in our, our earthly experience, all of them fall short of satisfying that hunger, that thirst that's within us. And that's exactly what Jesus is pointing out to these people. You see, Jesus was teaching on a hillside and thousands of people came out to see Him and to hear what He had to say. He told the disciples, let's, let's feed them. They said, we don't have anything. 200 days wages couldn't provide the food that we would need to feed these people. And they say, well, we got this one boy's lunch, five loaves of bread, two fishes, but what's that among so many? That's going to go nowhere. Jesus does this miraculous sign. He, he blesses the food and they begin to hand it out and there's just no end to it. It keeps coming out over. In fact, they got leftovers that they got to pick up at the very end. At the end of that, the people are like, look at what this guy has done for us. We should make him king. <laughs> what could he do for our Feed the Hungry program? And so they're going to make him king and he retreats off by himself, sends the disciples on ahead. They get up the next morning, can't find him. And so they go to great lengths. They get in ships and they walk around the shore and, and they go to great lengths to track Jesus down and to find where He went. And when they get there, they say, how did you get here? A reasonable question. Most people can't walk across the water. And Jesus says, basically, put it in my own words, let's deal with a different question. Why are you looking for Me? Why this morning when you got up, did you go to such great lengths to track Me down? Was it because you saw miracles? Because you were just entertained by those? No. Jesus says, you know why you tracked me down? is because you ate and were filled. You were satisfied. You see what they got in Jesus at that moment when He fed the 5,000 
they got a little taste of what it really means to be satisfied. And Jesus says, I satisfied your hunger. I satisfied your thirst. I satisfied your longing that is within you. You know, Ecclesiastes is one of the other things that Solomon says. He says that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. He's put eternity in the human heart. So we're not satisfied with just the things that we experience on this earth. We hunger and thirst for something more. You know, sometimes it's like that itch. You ever have one of those itches that it, you don't know where it's at, and so you like start scratching somewhere, and it just seems to stay like one step ahead of you as you're scratching everywhere, and you're not sure where it is, but you know something itches, so you just keep itching until you find it. Sometimes that's like our experience. Sometimes we're hungering for something, and we don't really know what it is yet. And so we just keep trying different things. We keep itching different spots. And we pursue different things only to find out that no, that's not it. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. If you decide to pursue after money, it will never satisfy you. One time I remember I read through quotes of millionaires. You know, Ford said he was happier as a mechanic (laughs) than as a millionaire. I think it was Rockefeller. They said, uh, how much money is enough money? He said, just a little bit more. <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's, just, there's just no satisfying it. And it's the same way with other things. You know, people that pursue pleasures. The, when, when is enough pleasure enough pleasure? Never. You never get satisfied if you try to fix that hunger and thirst through pleasure. Well, when is enough accomplishment? When have you accomplished enough? Apparently, people that are workaholics and have to be accomplishing all the time never seem to satisfy that either possessions when is owning enough things that doesn't satisfy either experience pursuing experiences when when is none of that satisfies that longing that thirst that hunger that is within us and what we're considering this morning is what jesus was leading those people through is finding satisfaction jesus says why did you make all this effort to come and track me down again what are you hungry for What are you thirsty for? Well, in this passage, we find three principles that are going to help us along this journey. The first principle is that satisfaction is found through faith. Jesus says it plainly in verse 27. He says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life. Don't work for, don't pursue, don't chase after things that are going to leave you feeling empty. Things that are not going to satisfy Chase after that which is ultimately satisfying. We pursue a lot of different things. We pursue careers. We pursue jobs. We pursue wealth. We pursue hobbies. We pursue entertainment. We pursue relationships. We pursue all kinds of things in this world that might be good things to experience, actually. If you recognize them as a gift from God and find your ultimate satisfaction in Him, in thanking Him for that gift. So they can even be good things that we can participate in in our life. They're not all necessarily bad things or harmful things. They are a great thing to experience, but they fall far short of being a God. They fall far short of being a purpose for your life. I still like a lot of things that I looked to as a purpose in life before. I still like to hunt, and I like to fish, and I like to camp, and I like family activities. And there's still a lot of things that I like to do, but now it's different. 
Because I'm not looking at them saying, is this giving me everything that I need in my life? God gives me that. But within my relationship with Him, I get to enjoy those things at a whole new level. Because I'm not looking for them to satisfy something in my life. I just enjoy them and I reflect back to God in worship and I thank Him for those things. Every one of those things falls far short of being a fitting purpose in my life. You see, Jesus is trying to stop those things. He's saying, stop pursuing, chasing after, working for those things that cannot fulfill your hunger, that will leave you thirsty. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And as we look at other passages throughout the gospel that deal with this same miracle, that deal with the feeding of the 5,000, there are actually a couple different feedings that Jesus did. One of the 5,000, another time he fed a group of 4,000 people. And if you look and you survey across those situations, we find that in, in five different passages, in Matthew chapters 14 and 15, in Mark chapter 6 and, and 8, and in Luke chapter 9, they all use exactly the same wording to describe what those people experienced. And the, and the phrase that it uses, it says, and they all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied. The satisfaction that Jesus is leading them to experience, uh, how, do, how do they get it? Because they, they, they're curious about this. That's their question. Jesus commands them, do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to life. And then they're going to come back and they're going to ask him a question in verse 28. What must we do to be doing the works of God? He said, don't work for the things that don't satisfy. Work for the one thing that does. And they say, well, what work is that? What is the work that we do? And you know what we find? We find that the work that he gives them to do isn't work at all. It's faith. And that's the point that we're making. The satisfaction is found through faith. You cannot achieve it. You cannot gain it just by pursuing it. You cannot accomplish it. You know, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says it's not according to works which we have done. It's by, by grace are you saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not of works so that no one can boast. It tells us in verse 9. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. By the washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's not actually a work. Jesus says don't work for, because that's what we do for earthly things. Don't work for those things that perish Rather work for that which is, and then they say, well, what work is that? And he says, well, actually, it's not really a work. You know what the work of God is? To believe. It's to believe in the one he's sent. And so it's through our faith, it's through trusting in Jesus Christ that we find this ultimate satisfaction. Well, not only do we find that satisfaction is found through faith, also satisfaction is furnished by God. God's the one that provides it. Later on in the chapter, skip down to verse 38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but will raise it up on the last day. In verse 37, the verse prior to that, it says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Down in verse 44, It says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. You see, satisfaction, this uh, quenching of this hunger, this satisfying of this thirst is found in God. It's furnished by God. 
You know, we find the hunger within ourselves, but we don't find the desire to pursue God. Why did I, as a teenager, look for purpose in sports, activities, partying? Why, why does Solomon look for fulfillment in life in pleasure, knowledge, work, accomplishment, relationship? Why did he pursue all those first? Why didn't you start with God? Why didn't I start with God? It's because of that corrupt, sinful nature within ourselves that we tend to pursue everything else but God. In fact, that's why when you look at the Ten Commandments, what are the first of the commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. Because we make gods of all kinds of things in this world and we pursue them before we pursue after God. But the fact is, satisfaction is furnished by God. You know, Israel was supposed to learn this in the Old Testament. God told them in, in Leviticus chapter 26, He said, look, if you, if you obey Me, you're going to find satisfaction. If you disobey Me, you're going to be dissatisfied. You're not going to find satisfaction. And then it was Israel's experience. Also, as they went through, there were times when they obeyed God and life was good. They found satisfaction. And there were times when they disobeyed God and they found life to be very dissatisfying. And Hosea chapter 4 and verse 10 is one example of that. He says, They shall eat but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore but not multiply because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, new wine, which take away the understanding. So this group of people obviously was getting involved in idolatry, worshiping other gods. They were also getting involved in through some licentiousness and partying as they were going through this. And God says that, that does not lead to understanding, which is, does not lead to satisfaction. Only God can furnish that. On the positive side of that, in the book of Joel, when he's talking about how he's going to bring Israel back around, he says... In chapter 2, verse 19, the Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. You see, God is showing them, he's demonstrating to them that, look, you, were, you went the wrong way, and did it lead to satisfaction? No. The hunger was still there. That thirst was still there. Now, when you go my way, you're going to be very satisfied. That hunger, that thirst for something that is actually a hunger, a thirst for the one who created us will be met. You know, in the book of James, I love this, this passage. Just over the last few years, it's meant so much more to me as I've sit and thought through what it means. In James chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, he says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And so he's recognizing that there's a, there's a way that the world promotes, there's a life that the world promotes, a mindset that, that the world promotes that is not in line with God. There are pleasures that the world has to offer, the, the pursuits that the world has to offer that do not fit in with our life in Christ. It starts out by calling these people an adulterous people. Throughout Scripture, believers in, in Israel are looked at as being the bride of Christ. The, the wife of God. And so whenever Israel, for example, worshipped other gods, they were called adulterous. They were told, you, you're being unfaithful to your husband, to God, to your God. Well, that's what in the book of James in the New Testament, he's doing the same thing. He's saying, look, you adulterous people, you're pursuing the passions and pleasures and the mindsets and the worldview of the world. And in doing that, you're being unfaithful to God. So you're you're committing a spiritual adultery. 
But then he goes on from there. He says, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that it is made to dwell within us? It's talking about God there. And it says that God yearns jealously over the Spirit. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit. Over the Spirit that He's made to dwell within us. When we we're created, we're, we're made body and soul we, and spirit. We have, a, we have a material nature, a physical nature, and an immaterial nature. Our spirit, our soul. And that Spirit that God has made to dwell within us, God wants that Spirit. He wants to have a... In other words, what it's saying is, God wants to have an intimate relationship with us. But this is what happens. When we pursue after other things in this world as if they're what's going to bring us satisfaction in life instead of being satisfied in God. As we pursue them, we're being unfaithful to God. And it's like God, as our spouse, is watching us pursue other things other than Himself. And it says He yearns jealously. In other words, He's so jealous of our affections going to everything else but him. The true way to do it is to recognize, as it said back in James chapter 1, recognize that every gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness or shadow of turning. In other words, the good things that we get to experience and participate in in our life are a gift from God, and it should draw our hearts back to God. But so many times what happens is God gives us good things to enjoy in our life, and we get so focused on those things that we forget about God, and they become our God Because they're taking his place. And God's there going, no, (laughs) turn, see, pursue me. As long as you're focused on those things, you will never not be hungry. You will never not be thirsty because those are not a God that can satisfy you. So our satisfaction is furnished by God. And then lastly, our satisfaction is accomplished through substitution. It gets to this last part, and it's a tough, it's some tough sayings in there. Jesus starts talking about his body and his blood and, and how you, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he's not speaking literally, and he's also not speaking of communion or the Lord's Supper. He hadn't even instituted that yet. But what does it mean to eat his flesh and to drink his blood? Well, if you look back through the passage, you find that it just means to believe. Believe. He says, if you believe in me, you have eternal life. Then he says, if you eat my flesh, drink my blood, you have eternal life. They're synonymous. They're swappable. But, well, then why is he saying it? Because even the, even the disciples had trouble with it. They're like, well, what, what is this? I, I don't know about this. They weren't sure how to take it. Sometimes Jesus frames his teaching in words that make you stop and go, what? <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. What did you say? And that's exactly what he's doing right here because what is he trying to accomplish? I'm certain that what he's trying to accomplish is that he's showing people exactly what the gospel is. See, Christianity is not just a warm, fuzzy religion. It's about the fact that our sin has separated us from God. And the only way for us to not be separated from God is through Jesus Christ is that perfect lamb offering himself as a sacrifice that his body needed to be put to death for us because we owed a payment of death. His blood needed to be shed for us because we are guilty of blood. And one is not coming without the other. And there's a danger within this crowd of the people getting all excited about 
this, but missing the gospel. Because they were fed with food. Let's make this guy the king. They wanted the Messiah the king that would sit on the throne. And Jesus isn't so sure that they're willing or they're wanting the suffering servant or the suffering savior that he needed to be to pay for our sin. And so sometimes he came out with these hard sayings just to kind of winnow out the crowd, thin down the crowd. Because you have people that are just excited at the moment about the miracles, just excited about the moment about the food, just excited at the moment. And Jesus is trying to get down to showing them that they need to have genuine faith in Him as a substitution for their sins. And that's the Gospel. Nothing else satisfies. You pursue all those other things that are going to leave you hungry. But with all the things that you're pursuing right now, stop and ask yourself the question. Can this really bring the satisfaction in life that I expect it to, or am I expecting too much? Because your real satisfaction in life is meant to only be found in one place, and that's in Jesus Christ.